Hello, and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great. Episode 11. Victory Lamp. Two weeks ago, we looked at Alexander's greatest triumph to date. Victory over Darius in the Battle of Gaugamela. Now, we'll look at the consequences of this greatest victory which I'm sure you'll work out, will be the greatest rewards. Firstly, though, let's take a look at what Darius was up to. Darius needed to get away. He needed to put as much distance between himself and Alexander as he could, as quickly as possible. So, where to go? Obviously, he couldn't go west, as that was now controlled by Alexander he would have to retreat into the interior of his empire. He had roughly two routes he could go, either southeast into Babylonia, or slightly less southeast to Ecbatana in Media. Darius chose Media. Media was a much harder region to travel through, being through the mountains, which would be awkward for Alexander's large force, and not too bad for Darius's small few thousand followers while Babylonia was an easy route for any force. Babylonia was also the route to some of the richest cities of the Persian Empire, Persepolis, Susa, and of course, Babylon. So, guessing that Alexander would head to Babylon, he went to Ecbatana. His guess proved right. Alexander went straight to Babylon from Arbella. He approached the city in battle formation, not sure on what reception he would get. Remember, it wasn't clear by this stage how things would turn out. After the last time he had routed Darius at Isis, he had spent seven months camped outside Tyre. There was no guarantee that Babylon would be any different. Although, he needn't have worried. The people, along with their magistrates and priests, flocked out of the city to greet Alexander and present him with presents. They offered him the city, the citadel, and all of its treasure, and he triumphantly marched into the city. Now, a question I've asked so many times in this podcast's short history, why? There are, of course, the more general reasons that would cause many more cities and regions to surrender without a fight. He had, after all, just defeated Darius's huge army in the plains which favoured Darius's forces. He already had control of the Western Persian Empire, and had taken Tyre, the untakeable city. But there are other reasons which are specific to Babylon. A few episodes back, we spoke about why Egypt surrendered to Alexander without a fight such as the oppression of their religion, and, of course, Cambyses stabbed the Apis. The Persians did not stab the Babylonian Apis, mostly because there wasn't a Babylonian Apis, but you get the feeling that they would have done if given a chance. Xerxes I had melted down the statue of Belmarduk and had destroyed the temple in 484 BC, this being the biggest religion in Babylon. 
he destroyed the kingdom of Babylon as well around this time. I don't mean that he conquered it, it was already well under Achaemenid control. What I mean is, he didn't take the title of King of Babylon. He used many other titles, such as King of Kings, but refused to take this title, which his father, Darius the Great, had used. The Babylonians were vexed. They rebelled several times in the 480s, but couldn't throw off the Persian yoke. When Alexander came knocking, they were more than ready to embrace him. Alexander merely had to order the temple rebuilt, and the people loved him. While in Babylon, Alexander did the usual things, that is, make sacrifices and appoint governors. I bring this up due to two points of interest. Firstly, he continued being respectful towards Babylonian religion, following the instructions of the Chaldeans, which is a fancy word for the priests of Bal Marduk. Remember the Chaldeans, as if you're feeling superstitious, they play a huge part in the death of Alexander. The second thing is that Mosaeus was appointed governor of the city. So what, you ask? Well, Mosaeus was the first oriental governor of a region. That's significant. There is also the question of why Mosaeus was given that honour, given that he fought against Alexander at Galgamela. It has been suggested, either from the role he played at Galgamela, as he had been one of the best of the Persian generals, and this could be a sign of Alexander trying to forgive him, and show a new cooperation between the Macedonians and Persians. Or it could be that Mosaeus was somehow involved in organising the surrender of Babylon. We just don't know. Either way, Alexander headed out of Babylon and made his way to Susa. On this march, or at some other point in Babylonia, Alexander is said to have conducted some, um, scientific experiments? Alexander is said to have been impressed by some naphtha, which gushed out of the earth. This naphtha was apparently like bitumen, and was highly flammable. The locals then showed it off by sprinkling it along the street, waiting for it to go dark, and then setting the naphtha for a like, and watching the fires spread along the line in a fraction of a second. So, what was the naphtha? Yes, you guessed it. Oil. So, what did they do with the naphtha? Like I said, they conducted a scientific experiment. Although, torture may be a better word. I think you can see where this is going. One of Alexander's entourage, who was in charge of keeping the king amused, decided to cover a boy, Stephanus, who was described as having an absurdly ugly face, but an agreeable singing voice, with the naphtha, and then set the naphtha alight. If the naphtha burned and wouldn't be put out, it would show off the power of it. For reasons I don't understand at all, although I guess he was under significant pressure, the boy agreed to this... experiment. As soon as he had been anointed with the naphtha, 
Flames broke out all over his body, and Alexander feared for the boy's life. By chance, there were many attendants nearby carrying water for the king's bath, who with great difficulty put the fire out. The boy, obviously, was severely burned and was critically ill for a long time afterwards. That is all Plutarch says on the matter, so I think we're to assume that the boy survived. Well, that was a lovely story, wasn't it, boys and girls? Well, let's carry on with the narrative. For some non-setting people on fire, activity. En route to Susa, Alexander was met by representatives from Susa. After the Battle of Gaugamela, Alexander sent a messenger to Susa, and he returned with the governor's son, and the decision of the city. Susa would surrender itself to Alexander, and turn over all of its treasure. We saw that coming. Alexander reached Susa twenty days after leaving Babylon, and received the treasure of the city, which would put his money woes to rest forever. Do you remember way back in episode 4, when I said that Alexander was having money trouble, and that he started the campaign 200 talents in debt? In Susa, Alexander took possession of 50,000 talents of silver, not to mention the treasures that Xerxes had taken from Greece, way back in episode 1, including some statues which were sent back home to Athens. Before Alexander left Susa, he sent 30,000 talents to Antipater to help him deal with the Aegis revolt, which we've already covered. He received reinforcements from Macedonia, both cavalry and infantry, and made some modifications to the companion cavalry. The companions were divided into squadrons, and Alexander then divided each squadron into two companies, each under the command of officers who had distinguished themselves in battle. We're going to stop the narrative there for this week, and I'd like to bring up some things relating to the podcast. But first, we have our own usual customs. You can find the podcast on the internet at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com where you can find maps to show you where these places are, if for some reason you don't know the location of Ekbatana. You can find us on the social networks, Facebook and Twitter, at facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast and twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod. Watch videos that I recommended or have created for the podcast on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast. And if you have any questions about anything, well, not anything, but things to do with the podcast, don't hesitate to ask at thehistoryofpodcast.com at gmail.com Now, podcast things. I've been pondering about whether to create a forum for the podcast. I've asked the social networks, so please reply if you're interested. Hopefully, if we do, we can get some interactivity and discussions going. The second thing, and I know this is cliché, is thank you. Frankly, I'm quite amazed that people want to listen to this, 
so I've been blown away by some of the reviews you've left. I do read as many as I can, and I really appreciate it. It's great feedback, and has a huge effect on the iTunes charts. I've put a few reviews on Facebook, but I'm being very self-restrained from just putting loads and loads of them up. Now, some of you who are familiar with iTunes will have a good understanding of the reviewing system, but for those of you who don't, I'll explain it quickly. Each country has their own iTunes, so there is no one place that I can go to see all of the reviews. I need to check each country's iTunes. Because of this, I've only been checking a few iTunes, quite regularly. That is my native UK, the US, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. I've seen all of the reviews for these countries, but if you're not from one of these countries, please send me an email at thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com so I can see them. Join us next week as we move Alexander out of Susa as he heads for Persepolis and invades Persia itself.